Woi woi, woi woi, woi woi. Then it then go on the radio again. Yo, if you wanna smoke free weed, go board yourself. You need to go plant a seed. Go board yourself, make your knowledge increase. Go board yourself, go board yourself. Hey, all right, everybody. Welcome to episode number 98 of the Grow Bud Yourself podcast. We got a great show in store for you guys today. Uh, Mike and I are going to talk a little bit about the news, but then we're getting right into the interview uh, with Matias Pino. He is the chief financial officer of Possible Cultivation in California. We also have my 11 tips for growing cannabis in containers, as well as Grow Q&A. Uh, all brought to you by Sweet Leaf Nutrients, Excelsior Extracts, and our newest sponsor, Prime Superior, who offers all natural and organic compliant inoculant products, including the world's first cloning honey, to help improve your cloning success. Visit primesuperior.com to learn more and use the code PS420 for 15% off your entire order. Episode 98, coming at you. All right, welcome back. Episode 98 is in effect. Uh, as always, thank you to DJ Jacques and Winstrong for the tune. We love it. Grow Bud Yourself. Approaching our 100th episode. Very excited. How are you feeling, Mike? Yeah, 100 episodes. I uh, I never, ever would have thought, but we've, we're, we're nearly there. Wait, you never, ever would have thought? <laughs> you had no confidence? I had zero confidence in our ability to get to 100 <laughs> episodes. <laughs> <laughs> well, well we haven't actually done it yet, right so exactly yeah i shouldn't shouldn't speak too soon but but yes it's an it's an exciting milestone especially for uh for us so <laughs> yeah yeah good <laughs> stuff it took us uh, like what 10 years to get to 103 uh, uh with free weed and then you know <laughs> we've done it in uh, what just under two years here so uh good stuff hey Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And thanks to everyone who listens and supports us because that's uh, that's ultimately what, you know. Continue. I have to be honest, if people weren't listening, we, we probably wouldn't do it. <laughs> Indeed. So thank Indeed. You. Without sponsors yeah. and Patreon supporters, uh, you know, and we're just sort of talking into the void. But Dan so and I would just talk on the phone if, if you guys weren't listening. So, <laughs> so this is great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, thank you guys for listening, whether you're in your grow room trimming or you're, uh, you know, taking care of your plants or driving back and forth from wherever uh, job you got and dreaming about growing. And, you know, I, I would imagine there's probably someone on a treadmill, you know, maybe, <laughs> who knows? Living their best life. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I listen to podcasts in, in all kinds of different situations. Mm -hmm. So um, hopefully our listeners do as well. Yeah. So shout out to you guys out there, you know, jogging through the park, you know, learning how to grow better. Absolutely. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, this show, obviously, primarily, we want to teach you how to grow and uh, make you better cultivators. But we also want to keep you apprised of what's going on in the world of cannabis, especially these days where things are constantly changing and there's always some new news to report. So so we should probably, before we, we get to the meat of the show, discuss a little bit of what's going on out there in the world of cannabis. Yeah, what what is going on? The big story we should probably get into up top here is the story of Brittany Griner. Uh, for 
people who don't know uh, Brittany Griner, she is a WNBA star, a female basketball star. I think uh, the biggest name in that uh, in the WNBA, and she's also a cannabis user. But unfortunately, she was caught with cannabis in Russia. And I guess next to, say, Dubai or some of the other um, uh, countries in that part of the world, Russia is one of those places where you really don't want to be caught with cannabis. She had uh, vape cartridges and she was caught there and faces uh, something like up to 10 years in prison in Russia. So it's really, it's a bit of a tragedy. Um, she is currently going through something of a show trial. Uh, yeah, there, there's very little the U.S. can do to get her released at this point. Uh, she has written President Biden. He has assured her and her wife that he is doing everything he can to get her released. Uh, but right now, things are not looking great. Her next a trial date is scheduled for July 26th, uh, so that's coming up. But uh, just recently, her attorney told um, the court in Russia that she is a medical uh, cannabis patient, officially a medical cannabis patient in the state of Arizona. So she has a prescription for uh, the cannabis that she was caught with. Of course, in Russia, that means exactly jack shit. So I don't think that that's going to help very much. And uh, some people think that obviously this is a bit of a disingenuous uh, trial that Russia is going through. And ultimately what they're after is some sort of prisoner exchange with the U.S. But but that's what's going on right now. A really unfortunate set of yeah. circumstances. Yeah, super unfortunate. And as a Russian-born Oh, gosh, I'm sorry. Uh, You're, person, yeah, my goodness, I forgot <laughs> to say. Can you talk uh, to some of your people over there? <laughs> well, I don't know if I have that kind of cloud over there. Uh, but I do have to say that as a Russian-born person of Russian and Ukrainian uh, descent, I, uh, I'm particularly ashamed of the actions of, of my uh, birth country, uh, the motherland. I think, uh, obviously, you know, not just in this situation, but with the, the uh, larger war in Ukraine. Um, and I think they're related in a way because obviously Russia is seeking to use this woman, uh, Miss Greiner, as a pawn uh, and as a bargaining chip. And that's not what people are. And, I, you know, she was actually on her way there to play for a Russian professional team, Yekaterinburg. And, uh, you know, it's like really strange when you're basically going to a country <laughs> at their request and being paid by them to do something. And then, uh, you know, and then they arrest you. I know this, this, uh, you mentioned Dubai and I, I, this happened to a DJ years ago who was invited and, and paid to perform in Dubai, but they found like a piece of hash on, on his oh, shoe right. yeah. or something. And yeah, it was a crazy story. And, you know, it's, it's just, horrible. Uh, these laws are so archaic and these countries um, using human beings as, as pawns and, and bargaining chips is really, it's shameful. And I think, uh, you know, this is a situation. Also, you know, the other thing that I hear is, well, we jail people for cannabis here as well. And I agree, you know, if we should, if we, if we want to fight to free Brittany Griner over in Russia, we should also be fighting to free 
uh, nonviolent cannabis prisoners right here in our country. And they do exist and they're out there. And I don't think one, uh, you know, predates the other. And I don't think, you know, I don't think one negates the other, meaning uh, just because, you know, you're outraged at the arrest of Brittany Geiner in Russia doesn't also mean that you can be outraged over the same situation happening here in the United States. So, uh, you know, you can be both. (laughs) And I am both. Uh, I am both. Uh, upset about what's hap- what happened to her over there and what that country is doing, um, obviously, in, in, with the war, and also what we are still doing here, uh, locking up nonviolent people for cannabis. Uh, you know, you see all these pictures of cops in front of what what they seized, you know, laid out on the table in front of them, and you wonder how much money and effort and time went into busting some kid in his car with some you know some vape pens or some edibles and some dollar bills that they all lay out like as though this person is some major criminal uh i just you know i I, we're wasting resources and we're wasting time and we're wasting people's lives and i think we really have to have a major shift in how we look at the situation when it comes to nonviolent cannabis use or really just any non any victimless crime in general you know when there's so many crimes involving victims that go ignored or unsolved uh we need those resources to go to that and i think everyone can agree to that it's not a partisan issue (laughs) i think everyone can agree that we would rather our law enforcement resources go towards crimes that have victims (laughs) than towards crimes that do not have victims that's the bottom line well, that's the old uh, that's yeah. the old misdirection, the dope on the table. Before we move on to our next story, we should just say the the other huge, huge, huge piece of news in in the world of cannabis is that um, cannabis celebrity Danny Dango recently turned, uh, if I could say it, uh, may I say, a half a century <laughs> on on the fourth of July. Danny Dango, happy birthday! <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, appreciate it. Um, yeah. It's a milestone for sure. I don't feel much different personally. Uh, Still smoking cannabis, still eating edibles. And uh, I don't know if that's ever going to change. But uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm proud of of those years. And I do um, feel like, you know, when I look back at the, you know, 20 year old, uh, Danko out there and how he wanted the, the world to change and, and what he wanted to see. Uh, certainly not ha- haven't accomplished all of that. <laughs> not quite even close, but um, many of the things that w- that, that they told him would never happen mm. have happened. Uh, and so that, you know, gives me hope that we can make changes. And I think, the, the the mainstream is is starting to embrace plant medicine in a way that uh, is is groundbreaking and disruptive. I think to uh, some of these other major industries, and certainly they'll fight back. But uh, more and more people are discovering that uh, plant and fungal medicines are healers and teachers and therapeutic and helpful. And uh, a great alternative, obviously, to much more harmful things that people are doing to themselves. So, uh, you know, I I, I want to see more change in my lifetime. I I do think we've seen a lot, 
Uh, I know it's easy these days to uh, look at the world as though it's all very, very messed up. And certainly there are a lot of things to, uh, you know, to be sad about, but there's also uh, a lot of progress has been made. Just the fact that you can go, you know, in in, in many states in, in this country and in other places of the world, you can go and purchase cannabis uh, from a store that's been lab tested and, you know, uh, hopefully grown uh properly in you know maybe not in every case but uh you know you also have to think of the the harm that hasn't been done it's hard to measure the people you know the people who haven't been locked up in jail the people who haven't been arrested whose lives haven't been disrupted based on the fact that things are legal and there's also the 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 people who have been released from jail uh have their records expunged and will continue to do so and the fight continues, but like I said, uh, if you ask that twenty-year-old Danko thirty years ago, uh, you know, if you told him we'd be we'd be here where we are and explain that situation, I think, you know, I don't know, I think he'd he, he'd be happy to hear that, and then he'd also want you to keep the fight going and and keep the feet to the fire of all the politicians and all the prohibitionists, and uh, you know, just make sure that this. You were, we're all ambassadors for this amazing healing flower and that we can just continue to uh, to make positive changes for people and uh, hopefully make the world a better place. And that's what cannabis is here to do. And and we are the uh, conduit to, to spread that to to people. You certainly so, have been a, uh, uh, a positive <laughs> ambassador for cannabis over your career, which which spans, uh, I think, three decades at this point. So very impressive <laughs> stuff right there. Uh, just one other thing that we should uh, touch on quickly before moving on. And that is there was a, a story that was released uh, just this week. It was who uh, Bloomberg reported it. And uh, if anyone uh, anyone listening to this podcast knows and is probably very sick of hearing that uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and his cohort of uh, of Ron Wyden and also uh, Senator Cory Booker, they have this federal cannabis legalization bill that they have been talking about for at least 35 years at this point. Well, that's what it feels like, but it's actually been a year. And they keep talking about it. This is the reason why they haven't given uh, the Safe Banking Act a vote, why they haven't uh, approved some of the measures that the House has tried to advance over the last year, because they want everybody to support their federal cannabis legalization. Well, Bloomberg reported that this uh, legislation is set to finally be, be introduced. And yes, you heard that right. The bill hasn't actually even officially been introduced into the Senate yet. Uh, it was supposed to be uh, introduced in the next week. And of course, that sounds like great news, but there was immediate pushback with um, with some of the senators saying that that is actually not true, that Bloomberg has it wrong. The bill is not ready to be introduced to the Senate. <laughs> and so we're still sort of twisting in the wind as to whether or not we're going to get this uh, federal uh, cannabis legalization bill from the Senate. Now, uh, Majority Leader Schumer has promised that this bill will be introduced by August. Uh, so hopefully uh, we will be able to hold his feet to the fire and at least be able to see this bill and uh, see what exactly he has planned for federal legalization this 
summer. A very frustrating situation there. Yeah, I mean, sometimes even when you know that a bill faces long odds uh, due to you know opposition from a particular party that just doesn't want to uh, come to terms with the fact that six in ten um, at least Americans want legal marijuana, um, sometimes you put the bill to the floor and you put their feet to the fire just by making them vote no. And, you know, that's going to help me in who I'm voting for. And if I lived (laughs) in a state, you know, like I want to see who votes yes and who votes no. And I will never, ever, ever vote for any politician that votes against cannabis, uh, you know. And so it just makes it very clear who they are and who not to vote for. And particularly if you're in one of those states uh, and your senator votes against it. There's no reason to vote for that senator. Uh, they really literally want to keep you locked up and put you in jail, and you're supporting them. Uh, so, you know, I'm not a one-issue voter, but I'm kind of a one-issue voter in some ways. And, you know, these things seem to align with a lot of other issues anyway. And so uh, I say, you know, put the bill up for a vote and let's see who, you know, and just because it faces long odds doesn't mean it can't pass. There was long odds on a lot of things that ended up passing just because when the person had to sit down and actually make a decision, their conscience told them what to do. And uh, again, it's not a partisan issue. And yet, for some reason, uh, one side, I would say the GOP, uh, kind of refuses to accept that cannabis isn't something they should be afraid of. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping... I'm hoping this thing passes or, or at least at least but at, at the very least we'll know who supports it. It's the time to see where we're at on, t- on paper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, and with the, such small margins in between uh, different parties and different votes, I think, you know, uh, if it doesn't pass this time, but they see that it's close, it has a much better chance of passing the next time. And, you know, ultimately, uh, we need to get this stuff done. We need federal legalization of cannabis. Absolutely. All right. So that is a look at what is going on in the world of weed. But we have a very interesting interview uh, coming up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's it's Matthias Pino. He is the chief financial officer of Possible Cultivation. Uh, he's someone who comes out of the financial world uh, into the cannabis world, but also is a consumer and an advocate, uh, but understands a lot of things uh, about uh, fundraising, about a, a lot of different ways that, uh, you know, cannabis and finance uh, are, are, they're both very unique and there are very unique uh, things about finance and in cannabis that some of us uh, from the underground don't quite understand. So I'm interested to find out uh, more of what he, you know, he has to say about it and, and where things stand as well, because, um, you know, the big thing out there in the world right now is the price drop of cannabis and, and how do these companies survive, uh, when the prices are dropping drastically and lots of companies aren't, aren't able to make it financially. So, uh, he will shine some light on that as well as, um, you know, why certain forms of cultivation are probably uh, more uh, sustainable and affordable than others and what that means for the future 
of cultivation. So uh, very interested to hear what he's got to say. I think why don't we just uh, take a quick break and come back uh, with our interview with Matthias. If you're a grower or you're thinking about starting your first crop, then you need to know about Sweet Leaf Plant Nutrients. Sweet Leaf has an incredible line of organic fertilizers and, of course, their legacy line that includes organic and some synthetic fertilizers. Check them out at sweetleaf.com. That's S-U-I-T-E-L-E-A-F.com. The code DANKO15 gets you 15% off everything at Sweetleaf. That's 15% off their signature line of nutrients as well as essentials like complete indoor hydroponic grow tent kits and grow lights, plus awesome apparel, backpacks, and much more. If you join our Patreon, you'll get access to additional codes worth 20 and even 25% off. Patreon supporters also receive free Sweetleaf nutrients just for signing up. Sweetleaf provides all the tools necessary for the modern gardener. Check them out at sweetleaf.com and remember the code DANKO15. All right, welcome back, and uh, we have a special guest for you guys this week. Uh, he is Matthias Pino. He is the Chief Financial Officer of Possible, uh, the Cannabis Farm of the Future, uh, Cultivation in California. And if you remember uh, from Episode 76, we had uh, Jesus Barola. He was the CEO, and uh, Matthias is the CFO, Chief Financial Officer, uh, over there. So I uh, wanted to get a a chance to chat with you about what you do over there. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Danny. Pleasure to be here. Appreciate it. Um, uh, so tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, you you, you have a, a financial background. Um, tell me a little bit about your background in, in, in finance and, and how, uh, how you came to cannabis as well. Absolutely. So um, that is correct. My background is primarily in finance. I spent about 15 years on Wall Street working at Credit Suisse um, and at a hedge fund over there doing global emerging markets. Um, so, yeah, after 15 years kind of doing finance and, you know, moving cash around and learning, you know, how to structure transactions um, and really hone in on what makes um, successful you know, companies work from a financial and operating perspective, I moved from New York to California and this was about 2015. So it was, you know, very early on into the cannabis days. California, of course, is one of the you know, first movers with regards to, you know, legal markets. And I started advising a company that needed some capital to be raised. And uh, as part of that, you know, um, I got more and more into the weeds, uh, <laughs> pun intended. <laughs> and after, you know, looking at the cannabis industry, when you compare it to all the other different you know, markets and different industries that were growing, it just felt like an industry that had so much capabilities to empower the consumers and create real significant change in the world. Um, you know, I strongly oppose, you know, uh, pharma usage and how I feel like the industry is really um, trying to hook consumers onto their products instead of really resolving uh, a fundamental shift and change in perspective on the consumer side. So I really think it's a great product to bring more awareness to each person on who they are and what they can do to empower themselves. And I really wanted to be part of this industry that can affect billions and millions of lives globally, right? So um, jump straight in. I, I helped Possible raise capital. And I was living in Los Angeles back then. And I kept on flying up and down to the Monterey County. 
And, you know, one thing led to the next, they needed a CFO. So, you know, two things kind of came together and I ended up joining as CFO of the company. So very early, early stage, I participated, you know, in the construction of the company and, you know, building, I was employee number six. So, yeah, I mean, it was a fantastic experience jumping straight into startup world. You know, the cannabis industry is extremely volatile and complex, highly capital intensive. Um, and California is extremely competitive as well. Right. So, you know, for the past four years, been operating in cannabis, understanding a lot of the strong brands coming out and the companies. Um, it's been a very exciting roller coaster ride. And uh, I'm just happy uh, to, to be a part of the industry and uh, giving giving what we can to help uh, further the consumer experience and the industry evolve and mature. Yeah, absolutely. And so a lot has changed, obviously, since uh, 2015, uh, which I'm sure you've seen a lot of those changes. Um, now, as far as possible, uh, that's located up in Salinas, which is more of like where a lot of the fruits and vegetables are grown, uh, sort of the breadbasket of America in a lot of mm -hmm. ways. And what makes the facility, the the possible facility there uh, different? I mean, why why is it the farm of the future? Um, and, and, and yeah, just basically explain to me, like, uh, you know, what, what sets possible apart. Yeah, we have a 12 acre property here in Salinas and to take a step back, Salinas itself is really from a global perspective, if you analyze NASA data on weather patterns and where is the ideal climate to grow flowers, Salinas really has the ideal temperature, climate, um, moisture year round, right? Um, so, you know, when we took a step back and looked at the cannabis industry, I mean, there's not that many industries that go grow plants indoor, right? And a lot of the industry had been done like that, both indoor and outdoor. It's very hard to build a brand using outdoor where you have one cycle a year or three if you're using autoflowers. Um, there's just not enough stability in your harvest schedule to actually satisfy consumer demand, right? So <clears throat> when we looked at kind of consumer product goods, Really, the two the two ways to grow a very consistent product line is using mixed light, which is greenhouse and indoor. Indoor, again, is very expensive and a very high price point for a product that we believe um, consumers will want more accessible cannabis down the down the line. And it's, you know, currently has been happening if you look at the trend of prices over the last four years. Right. Um, so when we look at the world itself, you know, greenhouse really is the best way to grow scalable product in sufficient size and scale to reach all of California with each harvest and to do it consistency at a lower cost so that consumers can actually get the benefit of having more fairly valued cannabis. Um, so when we looked at our asset, you know, we focused a lot on having an asset that had a its own water well with clean water, um, which we do, you know, given California's drought and the. Um, overall concerns with regards to weather patterns going forward, having your own drought, uh, your own well really kind of uh, removes that water risk, which is going to only get bigger as time passes. Right. Um, so that's point number one. Number two, we also have a gas pipeline running under our facility, which allows us to have cogeneration uh, capacity. So in our new development, we already have that permitted. So it's um, effectively very clean water with uh, its own cogeneration capabilities and a very high tech greenhouse facility that we're permitted to construct, right? So when we're looking at the farm of the future, how we believe that the industry should be um, moving towards a sustainable environment where we're growing cannabis very sustainably, where we're benefiting from the sun, but also complementing that with additional resources that bring the best of the plant to life. So we're, we're not only bringing in a, a stellar asset um, but we also have, you know, stellar genetics with our breeding partnerships, as well as, you know, very um, broad 
list of um, brand partners that we work with so we can channel the best cannabis with the best genetics into the consumer's hands under brands that are you know very appreciated and and and, and aligned with consumer values and incentives yeah, I mean, it sounds amazing. And I've been preaching this for years, telling people that, you know, indoor uh, is not ultimately a sustainable way and or cost effective uh, way uh, to grow cannabis. And that as it becomes more legal and bigger uh, grows are, are being built, uh, they're going to have to rely on greenhouse technology. And then, you know, with that, you add uh, supplemental lighting and mm -hmm. uh, the ability to use light deprivation at times as well. Uh, in order to grow year round. And I think, um, you know, that's, that's something that uh, you guys definitely are pioneers of. Now, what about uh, climate control and how uh, you guys climate control actually allows you to use less water? Uh, Correct. I mean, ultimately, you know, what is the real difference between indoor and mixed light in indoor? You're, you're in a locked room where you control the climate fully, right? So it costs a lot of money, but you can control climate very well. Now, since there is no sunlight, you actually have to pump in all the resources. Lights generate heat. You need HVAC, right? You need water circulation. So you're you're in a closed room, right? So you have very high quality product because you control the environment. Now, in greenhouse, using high quality assets, call it on all the fertigation methods, all of the power controls, all the central logic that can determine how many joules of sunlight you're getting, how much irrigation your plant needs, right? So um, having a an asset that is adequately managed um, with good ventilation properties and having a logic system behind that allows you to effectively set the different dynamic points so you can actually manage the climate to the best, um, to, to what the plant actually needs, right? And that's the key resource, right? So, you know, for instance, if you have extra light because you're adding supplemental lighting, but you don't have CO2, then the plant, you know, cannot generate photosynthesis. It's basic biology in the end, right? So what you're really looking to do is complement both the acid side of the equation and, um, you know, having all the tools so the plant can get what they need, but also having the mastermind logic behind so you can monitor it effectively and make sure that every day you're running through the right ranges, right? The plant is getting exactly the water when it needs it, right? And all the formulas are correct, right? So, you know, as with any agricultural product there is no silver bullet it's not like you install this and that's it right it has to have a whole host and concert of different instruments working in synchronicity so that you can obtain those maximal results yeah absolutely um now i hear a lot in the industry about you know what what growers can teach uh the 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 financial people coming in but what can mm -hmm. growers learn from someone with a, a financial background because obviously <clears throat> with the the changes in pricing and um, companies going out of business and uh, a lot of things happening very quickly in mm -hmm. uh, this industry. What what can the what can the growers uh, and the and the legacy farmers learn from uh, someone with with your type of financial background? Yeah, I mean, we all have a lot to learn, right? Um, I think if you stop learning, then you're you're not furthering yourself, right? So it's not only learning from each side, but everyone will constantly teach everyone. So I think you know first first thing very important to know is that. You know, this is a new industry for everyone. We all have to keep learning and pushing that expansion frontier. So we're, we're, we're taking in more knowledge right now. Um, when I look at the industry in general, um, it's very clear that being the jack of all spades is, is a difficult strategy to hold to, right? If you have a company that's focusing exclusively on pre-rolls and you want to compete with them on pre-rolls, 
I mean, you have a lot of wood to chuck, right? Because every day your mind is on 15 things and their mind is on one thing, right? So I think something very important is to understand, you know, where to add complexity and where to keep things very simple so that you own your domain, right? We're at a point right now in California cannabis where if you're not in the top 20% of what you are doing, then frankly, there's there's really no reason for you to be existing, right? And that's just, it happens with any industry, right? Um, it's a very competitive environment and... You know, we live in a capitalist country, right, where, you know, success goes to those that provide the most value to the consumers. Right. And that is really, you know, best product at the best price point uh, that delights the consumers every day. And if you cannot do that effectively and financially um, to make numbers work, then, you know, somebody else will. Right. And that company will will continue to survive. Right. So um, I think what's really important is maintaining a very um, cost uh, focus. Right. So understanding that, you know. This industry, you know, when pounds are going for four thousand dollars a pound, you know, you can do pretty much anything and still go 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 buy great, right? But that's not the world we're in right now, right? So, you have to keep a very focused mental state towards bottom line and just not overspending, and also making sure that you're making decisions that reduce your margin of error, right? So, um, what does that mean uh, from a grower's perspective? If you're growing a twelve-week plant, right, uh, or strain, you know, you could grow one and a half, eight weeks that generate potentially the same one and a half times more revenue with the same amount of costs, right? So what book of portfolio do you have on your genetic side is really going to be determinant towards what output you're providing, how many turns you have per year, and ultimately how much revenue you can generate from that. Um, having the right genetics, it's extremely important. I mean, this game is getting more and more about genetics in itself, right? So if you have, you know, the same GG4 that every partner of yours has on, you know, or every competitor has, then how are you going to stand out from a dollar per pound perspective? How are you going to differentiate yourself? Um, so you really have to have a very uh, concerted effort with regards to your genetic planning. And, and, and genetics, as you well know, is, you know, it takes six months to, you know, to effectively go from mom stock to full cuttings. Right. So if you're wanting to rotate your whole portfolio of genetics, it takes about a year to plan. Right. So right now, if you're not if you don't have your 2023 genetic plan already set, then you're already you know half a year behind all your competitors. Right. So you have to attack things very systematically with a very forward looking approach and you kind of have to balance the current situation today and the pricing dynamics of what you're selling today with a long-term or medium-term vision of where you want to get to so you can maximize all these different variables and, and, and own your trade in the end, right? Yeah. I mean, it sometimes feels like a game of hot potato in some ways, uh, you know, because it's also a perishable product. It, it can't just sit on shelves for, for a year and be the same. And so, exactly. Uh, you know, and now what other ways do you find that cannabis is different from other industries that you've analyzed and or been a part of? Well, I'd say it's different um, just because of the complexity layers that it has. Right. I mean, what I like to say about um, cannabis is that you have the complexity of the ag side. Right. Because it ultimately is a plant that requires a lot of planning. Um, then it has kind of the product features of pharma. Right. Where you have to be extremely compliant. Right. Have all the COAs and the lab tests and have all these. Um, high standards with regards to what you're producing with the additional complexity of alcohol distribution, right? So you have basically three of the most regulated industries um, operating under one single uh, framework, right? So, you know, it, it's very similar to certain industries, but very different to all of them in that I don't know of another industry that has that much complexity with regards to the supply chain and if you add on top of that, the fragmented nature of each of the uh, of each of the supply chains, of the lack of capital within all the finance chains, right? It just creates more volatility within all the different supply chain. 
that creates a lot more complexity in how do you go from seed all the way to package product to the consumer's hands. Right, right. And that also, I mean, that's uh, building a successful brand. Um, what do you find that are the key variables uh, to actually build a successful brand and be in that top 20%, uh, whether it's California or any other state? That's a great question. Um, I mean, just to put things in perspective, there's call it a thousand stores that are operating and humming in California, and there's 700 brands. Um, so there's a lot more brands in the market than I think there should be. Um, when you look at brands, I think the one thing that is really important is not to base your brand decisions on your opinion, rather to use real market information. I mean, if you're not studying the market and finding the opportunities in the market, then you're setting yourself up for failure, right? Um, what do I mean by that, right? Not only do you have to hone in on what are the correct values and you know um, missions that you want to support that can connect you with your consumer so they pick your bag over another bag, um, what is the price point that you want to be delivering on what products so you know who your competitors are and really making sure that you can deliver that every day consistently, right? Because last thing you want to do is have a brand where you're putting something out and you don't have the consistency to support it because getting off the shelf is, you know, it's going to take twice the battle to get back on it again, right? So when everyone is fighting for market share, what you need to make sure is that A, you really know what you're good at and what your key strength is. Be honing in on a consumer that is really feeling um, identified with what you're bringing to the market and that can understand the long-term value. And third, really having a product market price fit that actually generates value to the consumer so that there's repeat purchases every day. Right. Right. And I'm sure it helps to have that year-round supply uh, and premium genetics. I think uh, you really honed in on those two important things, high-quality flour, of course, uh, and then also being able to supply it any time of year rather than just harvest time when Absolutely. it seems like. And it's just doing it again and again, right? Like on our genetics side, we've just won uh, the, the California Cannabis uh, Cup um, for, for two strains, right? So I think, you know, this this was very science-based. It was based on terpene profiles. And the fact that we've won, given a science-based analysis, really goes to prove that not, not only are you focusing on the right genetics, but you're growing them to their maximum potential in the end, right? Because genetics define the ceiling and then your operations and your management says how close you get to that ceiling or not, right? So, um, and that really creates that, that consumer demand, right? Ever since we've won the cup, those two strains are just going out of the roof, right? And now we're kind of catching up on producing more of what people want, right? So it's really, once you find that that real um, element that the consumer is identifying with and wanting more, you have to make sure you're providing enough to the consumer so they can keep ordering more and generating that positive cycle and spin, right? Um, and always staying in front of the curve. Right? Yeah, and you mentioned, uh, you know, the the cost benefits of mixed light and having a greenhouse rather than an indoor operation. But I think uh, there's also terpene benefits Correct. due to just the the, the wider spectrum and, you know, you just can't recreate sunshine indoors the way, you know, the great big grow light in the sky works. That's right. <laughs> so uh, that's I mean, I think, you know, people focus on the costs, but there's also uh, and I think, you know, the, down the road, I think people are going to further uh, appreciate sun grown cannabis uh, due to the um, the better expression of those terpenoids and flavonoids and cannabinoids uh, from sunshine. 
I cannot agree more. I mean, um, I wish that, you know, there was more federal funding to actually have more science behind it because, you know, the biggest challenge I think we have with this industry is, you know, um, there's a lack of funding to explain the real benefits to the consumers, right? Um, and until you have that science, it's, it's, it's hard to have hard facts that allow you to say, hey, look, more sunlight gives you more X, Y, or Z, right? And that is beneficial to you as a consumer because of A, B, and C, right? That science really is the missing piece of the puzzle, I think, in the equation. And right now it's all based off perception, off of, you know, looks, off of feel, off of, um, call it market flair, um, but this ultimately is a plant medicine, right? In the end, right? So I think, you know, a lot of that street uh, flair and branding component doesn't necessarily reflect the reality of what is in the bags. And I think that's the last piece of the puzzle that once that comes together, I think it's going to be a really aha moment for the market and just kind of really kind of the missing piece of the puzzle to connect really what is this medicine doing for me and why is this brand better than that one, right? Absolutely. And um, so you guys work with a lot of different brands, basically from from seed to packaging. Uh, right. But you also have an in-house brand. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about uh, Humo? Uh, yeah, for sure. So Humo, uh, H-U-M-O, is our uh, Latin-focused brand. Um, we recently launched this, uh, I want to say six months ago, um, for the California market. And it's focused primarily on flour and pre-rolls. Um, we had started our business four years ago, focused primarily on B2B, supporting brands and being the conduit for brands to really focus on selling and acquiring consumers and communicating those values with us providing top quality flour to kind of match the, the, the supply and demand, right? Um, what we were very surprised about over the last four years is, you know, being in California, that is 40% plus Hispanic, that there is no brand speaking to the Hispanic consumer. Um, and frankly, the more we work we did, we realized that there was a lack of Hispanic operators, right? And so, you know, when we started saying, how can we get the product to our people? Um, you know, we really realized that we were the only operators that, you know, were really qualified to speak to our people as our people being Hispanic, right? So, you know, the founders are um, from Mexico. I grew up in Argentina. We're in Salinas, where it's 95% Hispanic. I'd say 95% of our workforce is Hispanic. Um, and so we really wanted to bring something to the market that has a real Hispanic flavor to it. Um, and humo itself means smoke in Spanish. Um, you know, a lot of our, all of our strains are um, determined um, using Spanish names, right? So, you know, it has a lineage behind each strain, but we're also calling it a Spanish name to kind of really empower our consumers to knowing that limonada is iced lemonade, for instance, right? And that kind of gives us the, 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 the specific flair to it, right? So we're actually speaking to our consumers the way that they want to, want to be uh, um, empowered, right? So, um, you know, it's been a tremendous success. Since that, we've also, you know, won the cup with two of the strains. Um, and the momentum is really building, you know, I mean, I'm, I find it extremely surprising that, you know, being a dispensary in California, you do not have an option for Hispanic consumers. It's just a missed opportunity, right? Um, and really what dispensaries should be doing there is providing an, a, a very strong option for their consumers to be delighted. And that's really what we're doing, right? I mean, we could put it in, you know, very glossy jars and have it priced at a very high price point. Um, or we could actually look for a price point that is really the value everyday, really premium cannabis, but coming out to consumers at a price point where they can buy this every day and still get top of the line flour at a, at a reasonable price, right? So our mission is really long-term focused, create that real value driver for our um, population and, and really speak to Latin consumers in a way that they haven't before. 
the last point just to mention here is, you know, one thing is doing white labeling for brand partners and just being more of a counterpart. In this regards, having our own brand has really educated us as well on the market itself, right? So it has helped us become a much better brand partner to our uh, partners as well. We understand the dynamics. We're in the same boat as them. We know what's happening on the shelf. We know the dynamics with each of the dispensaries and the sales agencies and how everything is complicated on the downstream side. So it really helps us to be a better partner, understanding what pain points our, our, our brand partners are going through as well. Yeah. And now, what's your long-term mindset as far as uh, do you see federal legalization? Do you see interstate commerce uh, down the line? Is this <clears throat> something you guys are, are, are planning for or is it sort of a <laughs> yeah, high in the sky a, sort of thing? That's a really good question. I mean, um, one thing I do know is if you make business plans based on political decisions, you know, you're bound to be wrong. <laughs> so, I mean, whatever happens with um, federal legality, interstate commerce, um, that will happen if and when it happens, right? Um, I think we have to operate under the assumption that it won't happen. And if it does, it's only upside, which I think is kind of the scenario, right? I mean, um, I don't know how many people want to buy, you know, and you, and you see all these different states that are building up huge amount of resources on supply side, um, states like Michigan, right, where it's freezing cold, right? Um, there's more efficient places to be growing, right? So from a pure product perspective, um, does it make sense long term to have, you know, very cold areas being, you know, uh, suppliers of biomass? I really don't think so, right? So I think... It makes sense given the current incentives that each of the states have been creating. But when I look at this long term, I really see an opportunity for um, California cannabis and, and low cost cannabis growers to really um, be the tip of the spear and be the consolidators of, the, of tomorrow. Right. Um, timing of that will be very determinant. I mean, if you grow too big, too fast, expecting the legality to happen tomorrow, then you could create you could be creating a, a an issue right and there are there are several examples of that right if you're too small and not relevant enough then you're not big enough to be a relevant player in the industry right so finding that right sweet spot and honing in on your key skills to survive this whole wave right and really get through stronger on the other side is is for us the strategy that makes the most sense that's great um now how how can people find out more about uh possible uh it's p o s i b l uh, and I love the fact that IBL is there. It's like the inbred line. And, and you know, you mentioned, uh, of course, uh, Hispanic and Spanish strains. And a lot of those are the original inbred lines, the Colombian and Punta Roja and the, yep. the uh, you know, gold and all of those. So I, I love that IBL is, is part of the name. But uh, tell people how to find out more about uh, the company and the brand and, and Instagram websites. Yeah, for That's sure. Really so for possible, uh, our website is possibleproject.com. That's P-O-S-I-B-L project.com. And that's our parent company. And for UMO, our webpage is www.getumo.com. And for our Instagram, it's um, the handle is get.umo. Excellent. Excellent. Well, uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, I do want to mention I'm counting on Argentina to win the World Cup. Heck yeah. Uh, later later this year. So vamos uh, Argentina. Vamos <laughs> Messi. Di Maria. <laughs> hey, God, I hope God hears you, man. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. The hand of God will be will be at that at those matches. So uh I'm really counting on that. And uh yeah, so thank you very much uh for being on the show. 
And uh, yeah, if you have any sort of uh, final words for our listeners, uh, a lot of them are home growers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of them are looking to build brands in emerging markets and things like that. So if you have any sort of last words of advice for for the the little guys that are looking to become bigger. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that and gals, sorry. I, I think the market still has so much room. Um, I mean, you look at Canada, right? And, you know, Canada was dominated by the behemoths, right, for the last three or four years. And what's happening right now is the canopies of the world are falling apart and the craft growers are really taking over. Um, I think you're going to find similar things happening in every region, right, where people are just getting too big and the consumers don't want the same bland cannabis they're really looking for something special and differentiated. So I think really uh, a place to focus on if you're a smaller grower is, you know, hone in on your genetics, right? Have a real differentiator, right? Um, Team up with people that can um, be your battering ram. What I mean by that is if you're the genetics play, then your game really is to focus on high quality genetics, right? And being the best at that. And then really finding someone that can take that to the market in sufficient scale where your name is empowered. Right. So really finding those partnerships, because either you're focused on genetics or you're focused on growing in large scale and selling. It's very hard to do all things under one house. Right. I mean, if you have pollen in a flowering room and you have a, you know, a leak of that, shoot, all your flowers are going to have seeds in and you cannot sell that. Right. So it really makes a lot of sense for the genetic providers to really hone in on their genetics and their game, have very kind of craft craft beer type approach, right? Where you have the premium edge and you really find these dispensaries that want to bring that to life. You're going to find more and more differentiation among different stores that need to capture eyeballs of consumers. If you can bring that to light with the right partnerships, then there really is a solid space for that, right? But you have to be leaning on people that are very efficient, working with people that are trustworthy, having a long-term focus and being able to navigate all this volatility in the middle. um, And really, finding brands that want to establish that as well. Right. So um, I think the space is there. I think it's finding the right partners and having people that are reliable, that have really good um, track record and that can be there to support both sides. Right. I mean, if everyone's not making it or making money, then no one's going to make money. Right. And I think genetics is, is the forward of this. Right. I mean, without the right genetics, nothing really matters. So I think you focus on where that special sauce is and then give it to these houses that need more of that sauce. And that'll increase your leverage and negotiating power when you're talking to the bigger guys, right? So, Awesome. Yeah. Well, on that note, also, uh, your bio mentions that you're, uh, like myself, a, a, a sativa smoker. Uh, what's, your, what's your favorite uh, sativa out there uh, to smoke? I got to say it's the Cuban Black Haze, to be honest. I mean, uh, it's a 14-weeker, not great commercially, to be honest. But, uh, you know, we ran some runs here and we have some pre-rolls coming out for many of our clients. And it's... You know, the hazes itself have kind of lost favor over the last five, seven years with more of the cookies, gelato type plays. But, um, you know, as a sativa smoker, I really enjoy that incense, different nose to it, uh, a really racy uh, sativa mental high that keeps me very focused, but um, very active, too. Right. So that's what I'd go to. Awesome. How about you, Danny? What's your strain? Uh, I love strawberry cough, but I really I do love the black haze, the Cuban haze. I'm, we're here in New York City, so we're in the home of the haze. Heck yeah! Uh, and I recently got to judge a, a, the PIFCON, which was like a haze competition. Fantastic! Uh, earlier in the spring, and uh, yeah, I, I definitely like anything with with the lemon haze. You know, anything with that in the name. And but the one I grow personally is strawberry cough. It's mm-hmm. like uh, NL five haze cross from way back, way back uh, uh, yep. that we've always had, and 
it's a, a nice uplifting kind of uh, inspirational. Uh, the older that I get, the more I can appreciate the the strains that uh, that you know keep me up and about. <laughs> Absolutely, we have some NL five here, right? So it's important to have kind of the older relics as well as the newer stuff coming down. So you you, you never know what favor comes back, right? So yeah, play it off. yeah, I'm definitely intrigued by this uh, the limonada and the Jamaica and then just looking oh, at some you should, of these strains you put on your the, nose uh, on the turps and the limonada. On the get, <laughs> it's really special. Yeah, I'm looking at them on this uh, on the get humo. Uh, dot com site and mm-hmm. uh you know definitely looking to uh maybe come to come tour the facility and try some of these one day hey we got to get you out to california man appreciate it thank you so much for being on the show and uh appreciate it and uh we will be back after these messages with more of grow bud yourself Do you want to take your cultivation program to the next level and grow higher quality, naturally healthier plants? Our new sponsor, Prime Superior, can get you there with simple, safe, and effective products. Whether you're starting with seeds, clones, or your plants are already established, Prime Superior has a product for you. And best of all, you don't have to change anything in your grow program. Just add Prime Superior. Do you want the best biological for cannabis growing? Prime Superior's proprietary strain of Bovaria bassania increases terpenes, cannabinoids, and yield. Inoculate early with Prime Superior and you will see faster germination and larger root mass, which will help you propel your nutrient uptake. Faster growth and more photosynthesis means higher yields and more terpenes and cannabinoids. Plus, Prime Superior has the world's first biological cloning honey to help improve your cloning success. Now's the time to try Prime Superior. Grow Bud Yourself listeners can use the code PS420 for 15% off their entire order at primesuperior.com. So don't hesitate, inoculate, and visit primesuperior.com to learn more. All right. Welcome back. Uh, thank you to uh, Matthias uh, for that interview again. Um, hope you guys learned something and uh, yeah, very interesting stuff and things changing very quickly in the uh, California cannabis agriculture world. So uh, nice to be on top of that. Uh, but we are now in the cultivation section. So uh, I believe uh, it's time. We don't have a strain for this particular fortnight. So I think we should get right into the growing tips. Uh, how do you feel about that, I think that, that's Mike? a great idea. Yeah, our listeners know that, that Dan, he likes to provide a grow tip each week that's going to help you become a better cultivator. So what's on your mind this week? What do you want to talk about? Yes. So this week I have 11 tips uh, for growing cannabis, specifically in containers. Uh, some people grow directly into soil. Some people grow in beds. Uh, multiple plants. This is for container growing. Um, primarily, I would say uh, for outdoor container growing, but some of these will will obviously work for indoor uh, container growing as well. Um, and, you know, I feel like most cannabis is grown in containers unless you have a huge farm and a bunch of fields uh, and a lot of space, or you have beds uh, that you've built uh, and you grow multiple plants in the same be- growing beds. I hope they're very large, but um, this is specifically for container growing and also um, with an emphasis on outdoor containers, um, which is a unique thing because uh, 
you know, you are limited by the size of the container and uh, containers obviously tend to need more watering than uh, plants that are grown in, in, in the ground or in large beds. So um, with those unique qualities in mind, I'm going to begin the container gardening tips for cannabis. Um, the first one I would say is use self-watering containers if you can. Uh, there are containers out there that have reservoirs in the bottom uh, and tubes that basically go down into those reservoirs. And you can water from above if you choose, uh, or you can fill up the, that reservoir in the bottom of the container and let the plant draw up uh, water as needed from there. And also, if you plan on leaving your plants alone for more than a day or two uh, outdoors, uh, it's a great way to make sure they don't dry out, which they can do very quickly uh, in the hot sun. Um, so self-watering containers, um, there's lots of different types of containers. Of course, there's you know plastic, which most people use. Um, terracotta, I don't really recommend for cannabis uh, because it doesn't drain as well, um, contains a lot of heat, um, uh, tends to crack and not overwinter very well. Um, you know, there's smart pots out there. There's fabric pots uh, as well um, that allow more oxygen to reach roots, uh, but also dry out very quickly. Uh, so I really like self-watering containers. Uh, I think a plant can actually benefit from having to pull water up. I think it helps pull roots down uh, in search of water rather than uh, having those roots congregate more to the surface where uh, where you're watering if you're only top watering. So, uh, and it also, you know, it helps you resist pests because uh, pests tend to live or breed in that top inch or two of your medium that stays wet, but doesn't really have roots that pull the moisture out. Uh, and if it's not evaporating out of there, it's a, it's a really good place uh, for fungus gnats and other bugs to live. Um, and so the self-watering ones, you're basically watering from below. Uh, and I do think that that's, uh, that's very beneficial in more ways than just one. So um, that's the first tip. The second tip is use white containers, light colored containers. Um, or if you have dark colored containers, um, cover them, you know, with some kind of white, uh, uh, fabric or, or paint or something. Uh, the darker containers are going to obviously absorb more heat. Uh, they're going to fry up your roots. If these plants are in full sun in black containers, uh, you will see that as the plant becomes more root bound, uh, there'll be more and more issues, uh, with the roots being burned and that causing issues with your plants up above those roots. Um, so you really don't want that soil, you know, the area where your growing medium is to, to heat up in that way that it can um, in the summertime when you're using black plastic containers. It's just, uh, it's a good idea to use uh, white or light colored containers um, or cover your containers with something white or light colored in order so that they don't absorb all that heat. Um, now, if you're growing in the Arctic Circle, maybe, <laughs> maybe you want that heat. Uh, but for most of us uh, these days, we, we, you know, we don't, we do not want to burn the roots of our, our plants as they get to the outside of the container. Um, so, you know, white container is definitely a, a better bet. And that is tip number two. Uh, tip number three, uh, this one's a funny one because people disagree about this, uh, about lining the bottom of the container uh, with, with, you know, rocks or shards of pottery or whatever. I don't really, I don't think it really helps uh, so much for drainage. 
but it you know it does allow for excess water to 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 pump out so it does it does uh, promote drainage uh, it's not a miracle cure and what i like to use instead of rocks or shards of uh, pottery is actually uh, shells from shellfish like if you you know buy a bag of oysters or you have some linguine with clams or whatever it is, uh, you take those shells and you obviously you want to wash them very thoroughly, uh, make sure they're dried out and, and, and there's no residue uh, or salts or anything on them. Uh, then you can take them. If they're oyster shells, you can you know put them in a bag and bang on it with a hammer a little bit to break them up into smaller pieces. If it's just, you know, clam shells that are tiny from, from, uh, a plate of spaghetti or whatever, then, uh, you know, you could just leave them that size, but I like to use the shells. I think they actually, uh, provide some small amount of, uh, minerals there at the bottom that the, that the roots can search for and, uh, as well as helping somewhat with the drainage. So, um, that's just a nice use for leftover, uh, shells that you might have, uh, from either, you know, oyster farming, if that's your thing, or uh, eating linguine with clams, which is kind of my thing. So, <laughs> and oysters as well. I mean, everyone should know how to shuck their own, uh, you know, and get good at shucking. That's a big thing. So, uh, and you know, the other thing, if you're lining the bottom, is you can also use those type of things as mulch on top uh, to keep the top from evaporating so much. Um, so, some of those shells um, and the fragments on, on the top work really well as well in sort of dispersing the water uh, or the nutrient solution and also providing a little bit of that mineral uh, content. So um, they work on the bottom of the pot and then as mulch on top. And if you don't want to use them as mulch, there's a lot of other cool things you can use uh, as mulch. But, you know, plants that are in full sun should probably have some form of mulch. Um, I like hay or straw as well as a mulch. Uh, Always a good one. Um, Tip number four. Uh, definitely use saucers underneath your pots uh, if they have holes in the bottom, which they definitely should. Um, but don't let any uh, nutrient solution or water sit in those saucers for a long period of time. Uh, just make sure you empty them out um, within an hour or two of watering your plants. It's different uh, when it's within the container in the way that I mentioned with the self-watering containers. Uh, when it's outside the container, the saucer, um, the light and the water combine to create uh, algae and all kinds of issues that can arise. And you don't want the roots just, you know, s- soaking in algae water. So uh, use saucers underneath and empty them. And when you water, make sure that water comes out the bottom. You know, you don't want to build up the salts uh, within your medium and roughly 10 to 20% of the water that you use to water your plants should be flowing out of the bottom. You should be testing the pH uh, of that as well. Um, tip number five, uh, don't transplant after the plants have begun flowering. Uh, so tr- you can transplant all you want during the seedling stage, the vegetative stage. You can go from 16-ounce you know, beer cups to a one-gallon container to a two-gallon container uh, as the plant grows Basically, as soon as the leaves are big enough that they're about at the outside of the container, um, you can pull the plant out, uh, gently transplant it into a larger container. Uh, That will help uh, with the plant. It'll grow. uh, Once it recovers from the transplant shock, the the roots go go down into that fresh new soil. You'll see a whole new burst of growth. 
uh, very helpful. But once you've gotten into your final container, whether it be five gallons, 30 gallons or larger, uh, leave the plant alone in that container. That's going to be the final one. Uh, because if you transplant during the flowering stage, uh, that shock uh, can actually mess with the, the flowering of the plant, uh, set you back by you know three days, five days, maybe even a week uh, in that flowering schedule. It's just not a good time uh, unless the plant is severely root bound. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it with uh, except under extreme circumstances. So don't transplant during flowering. Uh, tip number six, uh, don't under or over water sounds kind of obvious, but that's pretty much the number one thing that people do aside from overfeeding or underfeeding. So um, learn very quickly what your container feels like uh, when it's dry and when it needs water and what it feels like when it's when there's still moisture in there. It might be dry up top, but there's still plenty of moisture at root level. Lift the container up, learn you know what it feels like. Uh, and you'll very quickly realize, okay, this plant needs water. This one doesn't. Um, and as far as underwatering, you basically only want to do that once. Uh, and in, and I mean pretty much ever. Uh, basically, what you do is you wait for the plant to wilt. And then you lift up that container and you realize, okay, now I know what it feels like when we get to this point. Uh, you do that one time. And that's that's the only time you ever have to ever do that again. Uh, but that's so that you understand that um, you don't need to wait for your plant to wilt to water it. Uh, wilting is a stressful thing that the plant goes through. So some people I know will kind of like try to extend that dry period as long as they can and the plant starts drooping a little and then they water. I don't recommend that. I, I say preemptively water uh, before the wilt comes, uh, but when the soil is dry. So it's a delicate thing. You want to avoid that stress, but uh, basically don't wait for the wilt to water. Uh, tip number seven, the, one of the benefits of growing in containers, especially obviously outside, is that uh, you can move the containers as the sun moves. And the sun actually um, changes positions you know, from summer to fall uh, quite drastically. So one section of your yard or your roof deck or whatever it might be, might be great in the middle of summer and might get a lot less light in the fall. Uh, luckily, hopefully you have space that's getting more light at that time. Move the plants there. Also indoors, you know, if you're in containers, rotate the plant a quarter turn every two or three days. Uh, it just, it might seem like a little thing, but ultimately your plants will be way better off for it because places that were shaded will be getting light. Um, so move the containers. That's the benefit of having the containers. You know, the drawbacks are, are there, but the benefit is that they move. And, uh, if the containers are really large, 30 gallon or whatever, put them on, on, on wheels, put them on a dolly, uh, so you can move them around that way and you don't have to carry, uh, big, heavy containers around. So, um, that's tip number seven. Uh, tip number eight, uh, always acclimate your plants to, outdoors from indoors over time. Uh, you don't want to just take a plant that's been growing inside uh, and then just throw it out into full sun. It's going to die. It's definitely going to suffer. Uh, and what you can do is put it out on overcast days uh, for an hour or two uh, and then bump it up to three, four, five hours uh, over in overcast. Uh, use a shade cloth if necessary, if it's full, fully sunny 
at the time, but acclimate them slowly to being outside and they won't burn and, and fry up on you. And they'll actually get stronger uh, from that acclimation. Uh, you know, there's wind out there too that they're dealing with. So uh, if a plant just gets thrown around by the wind all day long, that's no good. But some wind, you know, a couple of hours of wind on a, on a spindly indoor plant will strengthen up real good uh, for the future and will be able to hold up your, your heavy flowers um, that you're anticipating. So uh, tip number nine, I would say, is water in the morning. Uh, some people will tell you water in the evening. I don't really like that. I think it encourages slugs. Um, watering in the morning will deter slugs, uh, deter fungus as well, uh, powdery mildew, any kind of issues you might have with that. Um, and it maximizes, uh, or, I'm sorry, it minimizes water loss uh, due to evaporation as well. Because uh, if you water in the middle of the day, uh, a lot of that water is just going to be lost to the heat. But if you water, you know, soak your your medium thoroughly early, uh, your plant has all day to pull up that water and the nutrients that are in the in the nutrient solution. Um, and certainly if you're using foliar feeding, uh, no, you never want to foliar feed at noon or one o'clock when the sun is at, at its peak because uh, that'll really fry your plants the the water droplets will just amplify that that sun right into the leaves and cause spots or or worse. So don't foliar your feed in the heat of day. Foliar your feed uh, early in the morning, uh, and you'll definitely see the benefits of that. And you won't suffer from uh, from the setbacks of uh, doing that in the middle of the hottest part of the day. Uh, tip number ten. Uh, this is a tip not for everybody, but for most people. Uh, don't reuse your medium or your soil mix. Uh, basically, unless you're growing in like a living soil and you've got cover crops and worms and all that kind of thing, it's pretty tough to do that in container gardening. Uh, I would certainly recommend doing that in, either in, in, in a garden, like a full, uh, you know, uh, in the soil garden or in very large uh, raised beds or uh, hugel culture kind of bedding. Uh, for the plants, but uh, unless you're doing living soil where you're improving year after year and and uh, and you're adding organic material and all that, uh, don't reuse your your mix because ultimately uh, it's pretty spent as far as nutrients go, and it could also harbor uh, diseases and things like that. It's just not worth it. Uh, one good thing you can do is throw that in your vegetable garden. Um, your fruits and, and vegetables will just certainly benefit from it. Um, you know, mix it right in or throw it right on top uh, and you'll have a great garden soil uh, for fruits and vegetables. But as far as cannabis production and flower uh, formation, uh, use new soil every time. If you can't, if you're not growing in that living soil kind of uh, biodynamic way. Uh, and now for the, the 11th tip, and this is my favorite of all of these tips is you know, because I did mention don't transplant during flowering, uh, one great alternative to actually transplanting your plants, and this works with house plants and cannabis plants, is just adding fresh soil on top. So if you have a container and there's two or three inches uh, of space in the container where uh, it's just plant stem and the soil has somewhat compacted down a little bit, uh, there's nothing better than just adding some fresh soil on top, uh, an inch or two 
right there on top. Uh, press it in a bit and then water that in and you'll you'll see an immediate boost, uh, a greening up of your plant. It's almost like a transplant without transplanting. Uh, the plant isn't shocked uh, by the new soil because it's coming from above. Uh, but whatever newts are, are there in that medium uh, that you've added on top, uh, get watered in and just sort of leach down into your growing medium. And it's a great way to just sort of boost a container plant that uh, you feel like has kind of used up most of whatever plant food is available in the container. So that's uh, that's a tip that uh, that works for, like I said, for house plants and for cannabis plants. Uh, and particularly if it's if you've already started the flowering stage and you're not you're not in the position where you can transplant the plant into a larger container, adding some soil or whatever the medium is on top. And watering it in is a great alternative to that. And you'll see almost immediate uh, good results from that type of activity. It's not something you want to do in the last two, you know, one or two weeks of growing because it's going to add a, a, a certain amount of nutrient uh, that you're trying to leach out at that time. Uh, but right up until the fifth or sixth week of flowering, uh, doesn't hurt to do that. Another thing I do uh, along those lines is I'll just sprinkle a little uh, bat guano or seabird guano uh, on top, put a little soil on top of that and water it in with, with together with the soil and the guanos. Um, and I find that that's another way to just sort of green everything up and, and, and uh, produce a little burst of, of, of energy for the plant. And there you have it. That's 10 plus one uh, container gardening tips for your cannabis plants. All right. Very good stuff. You know, uh, back in our magazine uh, days at, at uh, High Times, our publisher, Mary McAvoy, she would always say that that, uh, that crooked number, or I guess in, uh, ones aren't crooked necessarily, but, but, but doing an 11 instead of a 10 always got the reader's attention. So I love it, man. 11 tips from Danny Danko going the extra <laughs> mile past 10 to 11. Hopefully, um, Everyone benefited greatly from those 11 tips, so thank you, Dan. And uh, now we are going to move on to the portion of the show where we uh, answer some questions from our listeners. And uh, if you have a question that you would like answered on the show, get in touch with us. The email is info at growbudyourself.com. So uh, let's start off with Ivan. And Ivan writes, uh, hi, Danny. Uh, my name is Ivan, and I'm new to growing. Should I purchase seeds or clones to get started? So pretty uh, pretty basic beginner question here from Ivan. What would you say, Dan? Yeah, you know, it's a basic question, but uh, it's a, the answer is a little more complicated. It's uh, there's There's reasons to choose seeds, and there's reasons to choose clones, and there's different types of seeds you can choose uh, as well. So uh, I guess long story short, uh, if you want to grow something brand new or find something interesting uh, to make your own, uh, you're going to have to do that from regular seeds, uh, which are capable of being males or females. Um, and, and what happens is from those seeds, you choose a female and uh, you can either flower that female out or grow it out as a mother plant. Um, we talk about th that process a lot. So um, that's if you want something brand new that's all your own um and you want to actually choose you know you want to do a what's called a pheno hunt you want to actually choose the one that's for you 
uh, specifically out of uh, sort somewhat of a random uh, assortment of possibilities. And um, then there's feminized seeds, which I wouldn't recommend growing a mother plant out of, but will grow uh, reliably female plants. Um, that way you're not wasting time growing male plants, but you are probably going to get something quite similar uh, to whatever else comes out of those seeds for anyone else. Um, so uh, the, the variety isn't quite there. And I wouldn't, you know, you're not, that's not something I would keep uh, as a mom to grow clones from. Now, your third choice is getting clones. Uh, now, you know, this is also fraught with um, some, you know, concerns because depending on who you're getting the clones from is the important thing. I mean, are they clean? Are they w what they say they are? Um, ha has there been pesticides used on them? Have they been through stress? Uh, do they have diseases? You know, there's uh, pests even. So there's a lot of issues with that. But there are obviously also reliable places to purchase clones. I mean, Dark Heart Nurseries comes to mind in California. Um, and there are nurseries out there from whom you can actually purchase verified clones. I know Canna Provisions up in Mass is uh, doing limited runs of chem clones from chem. Uh, so you know those are legit. Uh, so there is legit ways to get clones out there. No matter where you get them from, I would still recommend quarantining them uh, when you get them into your grow space, uh, particularly if you have other plants growing, obviously. Um, give them a, f a few weeks to a month uh, to grow separately from your other plants in case they might have any issues. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you want to grow a particular strain that already exists and you want a mother plant of that, and you can find clones of it, and you know it's legit, um, that's a great way to skip the whole pheno hunt process and have a you know, guaranteed female uh, clone that you then grow out into a mother plant. You just keep it in the vegetative stage. Um, that can save you several months of uh, popping seeds and growing them out and taking clones and figuring out uh, which ones to keep. So it really depends on kind of what your mindset is. Do you want something completely unique and new uh, and chosen by you uh, as something special that shines out amongst everything else? Do you want to just grow something you know is what it is uh, and you uh, you don't want to spend any time growing out males? Um, in that case, feminized seeds or clones can really shorten that uh, that hunt for you. And so clones, particularly for mother plants and feminized seeds, for your garden just to throw into a tent or into a grow space, a, a grow box and grow out and, and harvest and smoke. So it really kind of depends on how, how, what your intentions are and how, how much you, how, how much work you want to do. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of it. And, and uh, there are, you know, very expensive clones out there in the world and there are expensive seeds. So it's not a decision to make lightly, but you certainly uh, should consider what it is that you're going after um, and what you ultimately, at the end of the day, want to grow, uh, harvest, and consume. All right. Very good. Uh, we hope that helps you out there, Ivan. Let's move on here to Lenny. And he writes, uh, hey, guys, I love the show. Thanks for all your help. I'm thinking of switching from pro-mix peat-based growing medium to cocoa coir, 
what are the benefits of growing in cocoa and what do I need to know before I make the switch? What do you think, Dan? Yeah, so this is a switch that people have been making a lot um, and for a variety of different reasons. Uh, cocoa core, uh, also you know, just known as coconut fiber, uh, is a renewable resource. It's 100% organic. Uh, it's typically fairly uniform in composition and somewhat odorless. Uh, provides really good drainage and good aeration, which is excellent for cannabis. Uh, holds water pretty well uh, while still allowing oxygen to reach your roots. So that absorption is important uh, and the root growth uh, is pretty substantial when you've got it cocoa dialed in. Um, it's almost like a hydro medium in a way because it, it does allow a lot of oxygen to reach the roots. Um, it's affordable. Uh, it's you know typically high quality if you're getting you know a good if you have a good source of cocoa and um it's also reusable in in the right uh in the right uh situations so uh there is some benefits uh it's definitely becoming very popular um the water holding capability the air penetration um the ph level uh typically is around 58 to 65 uh, which can't, you know, the at the five eight side, it could be a little bit low. Uh, you might want to bump it up, uh, you know, at least a little bit over six. Uh, but uh, it's, you know, it's a waste product of the coconut industry, so it's actually uh, much better for the environment and the earth than peat uh, bogs, peat which is pulled out of bogs, uh, which is then, you know, which takes thousands of years to form and then is not very renewable. Um, it also keeps the surface fairly dry when you grow with core, which I mentioned earlier, but that keeps fungus gnats and algae uh, deterred a bit. Uh, the most common problem with core uh, is it can have an extremely high salt content, um, especially if you buy cheaper uh, core. So uh, if you find that it's high in salts, you should leach the core before you use it, just rinse, rinse it through, uh, and get some of that salt out of there. Um, it also has a lower, uh, cation exchange capacity, uh, which, and it's high in phosphorus and potassium. Um, so if you're switching from sphagnum peat, uh, to core, you probably should consider changing your fertilizer practices a bit, uh, and, you know, bumping down a little on the phosphorus and potassium since there's so much already uh already there um so yeah that i would say is pretty much the the uh the drawbacks and the benefits of using cocoa core uh, but i also think it's a great mix you know it's something if you have uh half peat and half core you kind of get a little bit of the best of both worlds uh from that and uh you can still you know, you you can still say that you're, you're being somewhat environmentally friendly by mixing your peat with the cocoa. Uh, and I think, you know, that really lightens things up a bit. Um, and if you add a little bit of perlite in there, um, that also helps air that out a bit. So, uh, yeah, good luck. And I hope that helps. All right. Very good. Now, we have gone way over here for our cultivation segment. But let's do uh, one more thing. One more uh I guess a statement really 
This comes from Patreon and Tree, and he writes, uh, Hey guys, I just wanted to say thank you for all you do to share the knowledge on growing. I currently live in a prohibition estate, but I hope to get out and move to a legal state one day, or I hope North Carolina goes legal, LOL. Uh, so thanks for the uh, for all the episodes. I've listened to them all in the past month or so. I've been a part of the community for a long time now, but... As I get older, I'm getting tired of hiding. Anyway, thanks again for all you do. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, so yeah, man, that comes from um, from our Patreon supporter, Tree. Man, thank you so much. It really, uh, it really makes me feel good to hear that uh, that that you know that I'm helping, but also bums me out that there's still um, states out there where people have to hide, especially um, you know old timers in our community or, or people as, you know, as they get older, I just turned 50. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it just, uh, we shouldn't have to hide anymore. And uh, so I hope uh, things do change and I hope you get to see that change and be that change. Uh, and uh, thanks, you know, thanks for the support and thanks for uh, thanks for the kind words, man. I really appreciate it. All right, very good. Thank you, Tree. Thank you to everybody who wrote in this week. Uh, if you have a question you would like answered on the show, get in touch with us. You could uh, email us. That is info at growbudgeyourself.com. You could also uh, find us on the socials or join Patreon. Lots of ways to get in touch. Uh, what do you say we take a little break, come back, and wrap this one up? Let's do it. Hey guys, I want to tell you about one of our favorite sponsors, Excelsior Extracts. Outcast and TOH from Excelsior are incredible people, incredible growers, and they make an amazing product. Their THC-infused pain rub is made by patients for patients, and it provides powerful relief from pain. This product was developed to treat Outcast's chronic pain, and trust me, this is a super potent topical that really works. You can find out more about Excelsior on Instagram at Excelsior Extracts. That's E-X-C-E-L-S-I-O-R-E-X-T-R-A-C-T-S. DM them there to learn more about their amazing pain rub. And don't forget to tell them that Grow Bud Yourself sent you. All right. Welcome back. Thank you guys so much for listening. I want to thank our sponsors, Sweet Leaf Nutrients. Uh, use the code DANKO15 for 15% off at their website. Uh, Excelsior Extracts, sending love uh, to Elaine and Tommy uh, and their THC-infused pain relief rub. Uh, check them out on Instagram at Excelsior Extracts. Uh, and our newest sponsor, Prime Superior Inoculant. Use the code ps 420 for 15% off of that inoculant. I'm actually using it on my six legal uh, plants that I have (laughs) out on the balcony. And uh, you can learn more about the product on episode 91. Uh, That's when we spoke with Dr. Paul Rushton and Todd Young of Prime Superior. Uh, And uh, as I mentioned in the opening, they also have uh, a cloning honey uh, that you can use for making clones, which is a really interesting product uh, that I am soon to be testing out as well. Uh, so 
thank you to them. Thanks for you guys for listening. Thanks to vapor.com. Uh, the code there is growbudyourself20 for 20% off everything site-wide. Uh, please, if you're going to buy anything, uh, you know, through the internet uh, that has to do with cannabis or consumption, uh, vaporizers, rolling papers, trays, uh, CBD stuff, uh, purchase it through vapor.com. Use our code for 20% off. Uh, that's growbudyourself20. Um, and that will... Uh, that's awesome because the only other codes I have found out there are 15% or less. Um, so that's a special 20% off code. Um, thanks to our Patreon supporters. Uh, please do support us over there. Uh, we're really thankful when people can support us and you get a bunch of cool free stuff. If you support us, including sweet leaf nutrients, uh, a copy of my book signed, uh, grow bud yourself stickers. Um, yeah. Thanks to the YouTube uh, subscribers and we also have merch on the website, growbudyourself.com. Uh, we have Grow Bud Yourself merch. We may not have it for much longer because right now uh, it's costing us more uh, to have the merch on there than we're making from the merch. So uh, if you want some merch, now's the time to buy it. Uh, there's, I think right now there's like coffee cups, uh, water bottles, uh, and iPhone covers. But uh, if people want more merch let us know let us know through patreon uh our email at info at growbudyourself.com uh if you want t-shirts or hoodies i'm willing to make them if people are going to buy them but i don't want to make them and spend money so let, let let us know um but thanks to you guys for listening this is episode 98 um i think it's a long one it's gone into extra innings but it has finally ended so let's put it in the books 